This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. AMD throws down epic challenge to Intel. And a look ahead to SC18. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell with Intersect 360. That's Michael Feldman, editor of Top500.org. And Michael, we got a lot of news in the run-up to SC18. I always like it when companies get their news out in advance. And in this case, a big thing that we talk about is all the different processor elements out in the market. And Boy, we've got a brawl on our hands. Uh, I think the bigger news is coming out of AMD with new Epic processor and a new Radeon Instinct GPU. But Intel also had news in the HPC space. Let's get to that first as the incumbent and then talk about how AMD is challenging. Yeah, so Intel came out with uh, actually a few stories this week. But the one that concerns us mostly is this uh Cascade Lake, what they're calling Cascade Lake Advanced Processor, or AP. Uh, this is something they hinted at, certainly in, in the leaked roadmap, but here they've officially said, yes, indeed, this is a real thing. And what it looks to be is a many-core variant uh, of, the, of the main Xeon line that's going to be targeted at the high-performance computing space. So this is basically what the Xeon Phi line would have been had they kept that line, but they basically folded uh, that that sort of uh, target market back into the, the main Xeon uh, portfolio and sort of made it a special variant line of it, if, if that makes any sense. And it's, it's going to be a, a lot more cores than the main Cascade Lake, which is also coming out next year. That's going to be a 28-core system. This is 48-core, so almost twice as many, and uh, 12 DDR4 memory channels, so a lot more memory bandwidth, a lot more cores, uh, and that translates into a lot more performance. Uh, they're saying it's it's about 20% more performance than than what you would get with uh, probably Cascade Lake or even Sky Lake, and 3.5 four times what you get for the first generation Epic AMD processors. So this is going to be definitely floating point heavy, definitely aimed at the HPC space. And they're aiming for uh, the first half of 2019 for the, for the release of this chip. Yeah, I remember back on this week in HPC when we talked about that leaked processor roadmap, the implications that it had. And we were looking very carefully at that abbreviation AP next to Cascade Lake and theorizing about it. And here we have it, as you said, a, a mini core version. And ever since they canceled Knights Hill out of the Xeon Phi line, that's been kind of a gap for people who wanted to pursue that mini core alternative for HPC. Uh, so do we have any kind of performance specs or theories about where this will fit in the Xeon line? Well, they're saying it's it's 1.2 times the limpact performance of the current Skylake processor, the high-end 28-core processor, the 8180. Uh, but with all those memory channels, it's saying it's like 80% higher in like a stream triad performance compared to the 8180. So that makes a lot of sense in that they basically have twice as many uh, uh memory controllers to, to pump out the, the memory bits. Um, where it really excels actually is in is in inferencing, if you can believe it, because they're gonna put that technology that's gonna go in the mainline Cascade Lake, this VNNI instructions that uh, 
target the neural network uh, computations. They're going to put that into the the Cascade Lake AP as well. So they're going to have 17 times more images per second and inferencing on this than on the uh, current versions of of Xeon that they have out there now. So that again is understandable, but uh, I think the main target market for this is going to be the the HPC space, the people that really want a lot of flops that were looking maybe to go to Knights Hill. And when that disappeared, uh, they're still looking for an x86 processor from Intel on uh, to, to fulfill that that role. Yeah, it's interesting. The 20 percent um, uh, bump in the floating point is not really look that big, but it's that stream triad number that does raise my eyebrows a little bit. And I love that we're talking about the stream triad again. I remember that was a popular benchmark back in the late 1990s, early 2000s, when we were earlier in the cluster era and measuring that memory bandwidth was so important. And it's become important again as we compare these x86 processors to ARM, which has actually done relatively well in memory bandwidth and stream triad. And ARM, by the way, had its own uh, news in the HPC space this week as they got a big win with uh, CEA and uh, Thunder X2 based system going into CEA uh, from Bull, a Bull Sequana ARM-based system. We're not even really talking about that today, this week on HPC, but that was another big story that's out there. Yeah, and and certainly the memory bandwidth story, I think, is is going to be more, more dominant as these next-generation chips come out. Certainly the ARM chips, the Thunder X2 chips, had more memory bandwidth than uh, the typical uh, Xeon processor and even the AMD Epic uh, first generation chips had more more bandwidth. This thing has a lot more. I think it's going to basically beat out any CPU out there in memory performance just because they've really loaded up on uh, on these memory controllers in this uh, in this 48 core uh, processor. Well, we talked about uh, this new Cascade Lake AP and a little bit about ARM in the context of that win at CEA. But really, I think the biggest news uh, in the processor space coming out this week was coming from AMD, which hosted an event called AMD Next Horizon, um, where they had their top executives, Lisa Su, the CEO, Mark Papermaster, the CTO, both taking the stage. And what was noteworthy to me right out of the gate was how passionately and emphatically both Lisa Sue and Mark Papermaster were talking about high-performance computing and high-performance in general as being critical strategically to AMD. And this is really a culmination of their Zen strategy that they started working on uh, in 2012. And we first reported on on this podcast in 2015 as they started to recommit to HPC as a home space. I was dubious then that AMD had the wherewithal to make that kind of long-term strategic commitment. Uh, And yet here we are, and it was a very impressive event. It included two different um, thrusts, both on the one on the CPU side and one on the GPU side. On the CPU side, they were debuting the new uh, codename Rome Zen 2 Epic processor. And on the GPU side, They have a new Radeon Instinct MI60 GPU, both targeting high-performance computing and both really showing some pretty impressive numbers that are going to be a significant challenge to Intel and also NVIDIA in the market. Yeah, I I think the key technology sort of underlying all this is AMD's uh, 
decision to go with seven nanometers with TSMC. They made this sort of big decision that that Mark Papermaster actually talked about at length. I mean, it would, it sounded like at the time it was going to be a a, a risky decision. There's, they sort of jumped a, a whole process node because they wanted more transistors, more density, more power efficiency, the whole things that uh, these, these smaller transistors get you. But it, it was a lot of work. I mean, to, to go to that shrink from where they were with Epic, uh, uh, the first generation and the GPUs was, was uh, somewhat risky and at the time they thought on the on the x86 side that they would basically match up with what intel was doing because they were on track to push out their equivalent uh process technology which was a 10 nanometers but basically equivalent to the seven for tsmc they they thought they'd meet that uh pretty much head to head but what happened was intel slipped their uh their manufacturing node and now they're they're a year late so what happened is amd now is going to come out with this technology a year ahead, basically, uh, of Intel. And actually, it looks like it's gonna make a lot of difference because they have a lot more performance in the design of both these chips, but specifically with the, uh, the Zen 2 Epic chip. They said they increased the floating point performance by four times, thanks to doubling the core count and then doubling the floating point width. So they got four times the floating point performance as the first generation uh, epic process, which is a huge jump. Yeah, that's exactly right. And in talking about justifying that very heavy lift going to seven nanometers, Mark Papermaster said they settled the argument by saying we are in the business of high performance. Right. And it was justified by getting double the density at half the power and 25 percent more power, uh, more performance for the same power envelope. And uh, you're right. They uh, they've uh, doubled the vector width to 256 bit to get the uh, performance advantages there. They've got 64 Zen 2 cores on this Rome uh, chip, the Rome Zen 2 chip, which they're sampling now. That's 128 threads. They've doubled the performance per socket, which increase, which relates to really four times the floating point performance per socket of the previous uh, Zen 1. It's more instructions per cycle. It's PCIe 4.0 capable. Um, it's improved accelerator performance. It's, and it's socket compatible backwards to Na Naples and forward compatible to their uh, future Milan. Uh, Lisa Sue was also emphatic up on stage. She said, this is our space. This is where we lead. Yeah, it was it was a very impressive uh announcement or set of announcements for this they they really did a lot of design work and by dovetailing it into the seven nanometer technology they were able to put up uh, looks like they're going to be able to put up some really good numbers uh in challenging intel with that 4x improvement in double precision flops it looks like that chip is going to meet or exceed the high-end uh performance of what we were just talking about the cascade lake ap chip specifically geared for HPC. Now, not every uh, Zen 2 Epic chip is going to have 64 cores. Presumably, they'll have, uh, you know, lesser cores and a whole portfolio of SKUs. But the top end, it looks like uh, that 64 core variant will be uh, maybe the most powerful x86 processor in the market in 2019. 
They also shared not only some benchmarks, but some architectural details, a few things of which were, were really interesting. One is that they've gone with something they called a chiplet design, which is right. moving away from these larger uh, larger dyes to smaller ones that, that they say are going to increase their yields, especially for this seven nanometer process. And then uh, more at the macro architecture level, I thought one thing was interesting is they're following through on this strategy to really stress uh, single socket uh, servers, which uh, they say gives no compromise performance and also has some interesting side effects, like, for example, saving a lot of money on software licenses for things that are licensed per socket. Yeah, AMD's been big on the single socket configurations. They've, I think they've, they've got an interesting story there and something I think a lot of, uh, a lot of customers, uh, especially outside of HPC, are going to take advantage of uh, just on that cost basis. Pete Garrow, who's the CEO of Cray, joined Forrest Norod of AMD on the stage to talk about the new Shasta supercomputer also, which we talked about last week, this week on HPC, but we didn't realize then that it was these new Epic processors going into that system at NERSC, the Perlmutter system. Right, yeah. I mean, the Cray only recently actually picked up AMD as a, as a provider of processors Again, after having them for so long back in the uh, the early part of the decade, um, yeah, I think these epic uh, processors and what AMD is doing is going to start to make a big impact in the HPC space after sort of what we would say a pretty slow start in 2017 when they introduced the chips uh, for the first time. We also have to get quickly to the new GPU. It wasn't just the CPU, but there's a new AMD Radeon Instinct MI60 and then also more of a knockdown MI50 uh, that are uh, their first 7 nanometer GPUs. And they're focusing on very fast FP64 and FP32. Uh, and it's, uh, again, PCIe 4 capable. Now, this does extend down through floating point 16 and, and int 8 operations. It has all of the frameworks around machine learning, TensorFlow, CAFE2, PyTorch, MXNet. It's got the containers. But what interests me is by, by extending through all the way up to the 64-bit space in that same GPU, they are clearly targeting those who are doing machine learning within an HPC environment and need a GPU that bats both ways. Yeah, they've definitely followed NVIDIA's lead here and what they're doing on their side, with the, uh, especially with the V100 GPU, their latest offering there. In fact, this MI60 chip uh, matches up very well uh, with sheer numbers on those specs with uh, 64-bit performance and some of the, some of the lesser performance half-precision and uh, uh, single precision as well. It's uh, actually, it, it comes right up uh, to what the V100 does from NVIDIA and actually is a little bit faster in memory bandwidth uh, on, on their side as well. Uh, I think for the first... Uh, a terabyte a second of memory bandwidth. terabyte a second, which is something people have been aiming for for a while. They're using the HBM2 stacked memory as many of these uh, high-performance GPUs do. Um, so it, it looks to be for the first time that is going to match or in maybe some cases exceed a little bit uh, some of the performance of what NVIDIA is pushing out for their top of the line chip. But we'll have to see when these products come out next uh, in the next quarter. The MI60 is actually coming out in the last quarter of this year, so probably in December, and then the MI50 in the first quarter of the new year. So we'll see those products up close. Somebody will buy them and run up. Uh, 
all sorts of benchmarks, hopefully, and we'll get some good uh, head-to-head comparisons. Yeah, absolutely. This is something we're going to be tracking in the market. Now, AMD has done it. They've gotten to this chip launch. I think the next big test in terms of adoption, it's going to come down to software environment because that's where they can't make up their their uh, lag behind Intel and NVIDIA all in one jump. They've right. got to get codes coming back over, and that's going to come down to uh, the, uh, the Rockham uh, uh, middleware layer that they have that's now upstreamed into the Linux kernel. And then also on the GPU side, something that AMD has called HIP, which is their own language and programming model. But what you can do is import things from CUDA into HIP and then recompile them to any GPU model. So AMD is returning to this strategy of saying, Go to open standards, get off of proprietary, use these tools, and then you can go anywhere, whether it's us or somebody else. And I think that's the best strategy they can take. But really, that war is going to be played out in software. Yeah, and and AMD has had this open software strategy for a long time. I think all it really needs is really competitive hardware underlying it that's at a price performance level that's going to attract some of these big customers in in the hyperscale space and in the supercomputing labs. And once that happens, uh, I think developers will be very happy to go to open an open software platform and use these other technologies. Nobody's nobody's married to CUDA in the sense that they, they wanna be writing CUDA applications for the rest of their lives. And uh, I think it's just uh, up until now, AMD's been a little bit behind the curve in performance and some of the feature sets, but with this uh, the second generation of Radeon Instinct GPUs, I think they've they've made up a lot of lost ground. All right, Michael. Well, we're going to be talking about this a lot next week. Of course, it's Supercomputing Week, and we've got to take at least a few minutes to do a quick preview of supercomputing. What are you looking forward to next? Well, I mean, there's so much. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of sessions on on deep learning, some on quantum computing, some of the really hot topics that we've talked about all year. Um, I, I think there's going to be something like a dozen exascale sessions we're basically two to three years away from from that technology now so uh there's more and more talk about this and uh there's now there's different aspects to it there's uh like i said there's probably about a dozen sessions and talks on that as well as a few more that are are related to that as well so uh we're going to hear about you know the ecp project in the u.s the chinese exascale effort as well and and some about the european exascale effort as well and see where everybody is sitting. Some of those are only now two, maybe three years away. The European one a little bit longer, but those are those are getting very close uh, in the rearview mirror now. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what sort of progress uh, they've been able to achieve over the last year or so. Yeah, I'm with you. And in particular, I, I want to check out the BOF on the ETP for HPC from the European Exascale Initiative and the European Processor Initiative. That's going to be on Wednesday afternoon starting at 5.15. I, I do want to check out that BOF. And there's a lot else going on at the show. First of all, I'm going to be giving a market update talk if you want to get some of our data, a market update for high-performance computing, hyperscale, and AI you can catch me in the DDN Booth Theater Tuesday, 12.15 to 12.45. That's in Booth 3213, the DDN Booth Theater. And if you miss it then, I'm going to give the same presentation again 
Thursday, 1 o'clock to 1.30 in the Mellanox booth, 3207, Thursday, 1 o'clock to 1.30. Of course, we've also got our traditional Monday afternoon reception, which you can check us out. We'll be at the Beer Garden Restaurant uh, that's attached to the Omni right across from the convention center. That's Monday afternoon, two o'clock to four o'clock. Then, of course, the, the, there's the whole show. It opens with the plenary session, uh, Monday evening, the HPC Inspires opening plenary, HPC and AI helping to solve humanity's grand challenges. That'll be moderated by Intel's Deborah Goldfarb and a longtime friend of ours. So I'm interested in that as well as the, uh, opening keynote, uh, Tuesday morning, how to explore, how to deploy the unruly power of machine platform and crowd by uh, Eric Brynjolfsson from uh, MIT. So there's there's a ton going on, as always, plus the new Top 500 list. We'll get a couple of podcasts out over the course of the week. It's going to be busy, but I always love it. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of topics to cover. And yeah, we'll, we'll have a couple podcasts coming out next week. We'll try and cover as much as we can. And then whatever we miss, we'll clean up over the rest of the year. But uh, certainly a lot of interesting sessions. And there's going to be some news uh Certainly, this is going to be breaking on, on Monday and Tuesday at the conference, too, that we'll, we'll catch up on. All right, Michael. Well, thanks for a great podcast. Travel safe. And thanks to you also. I'll see all of you in Dallas next week for SC18. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.